Welcome to the next in a series of Ask a Chair podcasts brought to you by SAEM Rams. Hi again, everyone. We are here with Dr. Andra Bunkollins. She is the chair at Stanford and former vice chair at UT Southwestern and my home university, the University of Cincinnati. Dr. Bunkollins, thank you so much for agreeing to come sit down and talk with us. Thank you so much for having me. Excellent. Well, let's get started with some of the questions that we have prepared for you. Like I mentioned, you've had a couple vice chair roles and now are the new chair at Stanford. What are some of the other major stepping stones on your path to becoming a leader in emergency medicine? I think perhaps the first leadership position where I really got engaged in emergency medicine was being a chief resident. So making that choice or advocating for myself to have that position really launch things in terms of both education, research, and Mm -hmm. also clinical operations. Did you know at that time that you were headed towards something like a chair role, or did that develop more over time? That's an interesting question, because I think my chair at the time, Brian Gibbler, very much thought I should be pursuing a chair role, Mm -hmm. but I personally wasn't so sure. I thought I was destined for a research career. I actually really like bench research, basic science research, and that is where I was headed and hoping to head. But it turns out he knew me maybe better than I knew myself, and this is where I end up today. So speaking of your path through your career to this point, what are some of the most difficult decisions that you've had to make in your career, and how do you feel like those formed the practice that you have now? It was really, really, really difficult for me to make the decision to leave Cincinnati. I trained there. I believed in the place. I was a residency program director there, an APD, and then a residency program director there, and then a vice chair. I loved the place dearly, and I genuinely thought that I was going to spend my whole career there. And there came a time when I just realized and it, you know, it has nothing to do really with the institution. It's just the circumstances and the timing and who's in what positions at any one given time. What I wanted to do in the future just was not available. I had to make the very, very difficult decision, a decision I thought I'd never make, which was if I wanted to continue growing in my career, I had to figure out a way to do it someplace else. What is your best advice for a medical student or a resident who wants to pursue a career in administration or emergency medicine leadership? I'm a big fan of going to the annual meeting, like SAM's annual meeting specifically. Mm -hmm. The Medical Student Ambassador Program, which is something I put together when I was program committee chair, I think is a fabulous opportunity. I would have loved to have had that opportunity as a medical student to be able to participate and participate in leadership within SAM and also with the program committee. I think that a lot of times, particularly when you're junior or when I thought I was junior, that you really couldn't contribute as a relatively junior person. But it turns out most organizations, and SAM in particular, they're dying to have input of Mm. medical students and engagement and that sort of thing. So the opportunities are actually almost much more prevalent in that situation than they are when you're later on down the road and assuming and competing for leadership positions. So I think it really takes a ambitious, but not too ambitious, medical student to just approach and join a committee And then the important thing is to attend, and then also if you make a promise to deliver on something, then it really matters that you deliver on it and deliver on it on time so that people realize you're dependable, and that's Mm -hmm. how you start climbing that ladder. It's funny that you specifically brought up the Medical Student Ambassador Program because that was my introduction to SAEM, so 
thank you for putting that together. It oh, was yeah. as good of an experience as I think I could have hoped for. Well, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> thank you for doing it. I know it's a lot of hard work from you guys. Speaking of leadership positions and SAEM, you've held numerous national leadership positions, including president of SAEM. What advice do you have for residents and medical students who are trying to break out on the national scene or are really looking to pursue activities outside of their home institution? Well, first, I think it's important to ask yourself why you want to do it. Mm -hmm. And I do think, personally, there are right reasons to want to do it and wrong reasons to want to do it. I do think sometimes people, I mean, medical students, residents, faculty are very ambitious people and they're used to wanting to climb the ladder and they want to do that. I think to do something like a leadership position within emergency medicine or specifically SAM well, you've got to have a passion for contributing to the field. And it's not about a title or it's not about, I want to be president someday. It was never, that was never part of the plan. I just wanted to contribute to the field mm -hmm. and make it better. And specifically academic emergency medicine, which I think you know is still relatively young in comparison to the rest of the medical universe. So I think if you genuinely believe in it and just do what you feel is right in terms of what you're specifically passionate about, the leadership positions will come. I wouldn't necessarily target one in advance. Do you briefly mentioned research? And when you were back at UC, I remember you as being one of the big researchers in our department. What advice do you have for medical students or residents who are looking to succeed specifically in emergency medicine research? Are there any sort of specific features that they should look for in a training program? Or what other advice would you have in that field? I think that using your elective time wisely or looking for a program that allows flexibility in a longitudinal experience in research, you can't get a research project done in a month, in three months, or six months. A good research project will likely take at least a year, if not one to three years. And I'm not trying to be discouraging, <laughs> it's just the process. Mm -hmm. And it's not the kind of thing that you can just crash out while you're doing a you know, single elective. So. I feel as though starting your intern year in something, even if it's a book review or a small case review or something like that. I had a patient who had a catfish spine invenivation in his hand. <laughs> and Dr. Otten, who is the father of wilderness medicine, and I used to do a lot of fishing growing up, so I thought this was incredibly interesting. And that's where it all started. I wrote a case report and literature review of catfish envenomations, spine envenomations. To date, that's my most cited paper, even though I'd like to think I've actually contributed to the literature a little bit more than that. <laughs> yeah, so that's where it all started. But it was him saying, well, this is kind of unusual. We should write this up to actually putting pen to paper and writing it up. And that's kind of, I think, where it all starts early. That's a great story. I can see Dr. Otten saying, we should write this up. Yes, that's exactly how it happened. So, As a woman in leadership in emergency medicine, I want to hear your thoughts on advice for developing mentorship relationships. It's been a theme through a lot of these discussions that mentorship is key. What specific thoughts do you have along those lines? So mentorship is obviously key and critical. I don't think women necessarily have to be mentored by women. I think having a mentorship family is important and perhaps some of that is being mentored by women. Mm -hmm. However, most of my mentors have been male over time and they've been very successful relationships and they've changed. As I've changed and grown in different ways, my mentors and mentees for that matter have changed in different ways. 
I really feel as though mentorship, good mentorship is much of a two-way street as it is actually the mentor mentoring the mentee. Yes, that's what I mean. <laughs> that it's really important for the mentee to contribute back and be responsive and be on the ball and deliver stuff on time. And those relationships, I think, are best when you have a regularly scheduled meeting and there are goals for that meeting and then goals for what's going to happen at the next meeting. I know it sounds kind of contrived and a lot of people think of mentorship as going to Starbucks and having a cup of coffee. That's a type of mentorship, but I feel like hardcore academic mentorship requires a little bit more rigor than that. As we start to wrap up, any other thoughts, advice that you have for our audience, the residents and medical students who are listening? I would think about, you're going to be asked to do a lot of things over the course of your career. And that sometimes it's not obvious whether or not you should do them. I feel as though early in your career you should say yes more often than you say no. And I do think that there is some component of trying to maintain sanity and saying no when it's appropriate. But most of the time you should be saying yes because it's the yes opportunities that get you to the next step. The no opportunities are just dead ends. Mm -hmm. I also think that a lot of people get given tasks particularly women get given task-oriented assignments, and that whenever you do have an assignment of any type, that you specifically think about how you might be able to write it up. Not everything has to be hypothesis-driven research. You can write up your stuff in a variety of different places, locations, even if it's a newsletter or otherwise, but get used to thinking, how can I write it up and put my name out there? because that is still the currency of the realm. And I personally, I hate writing. I hate it, I hate it, I hate it so much. I don't want to do it, but it's just part of what I have to do to move forward, and there's kind of no denying that. So kind of get over it. We just started something, per Linda Regans, who's at Hopkins, her recommendation, writing accountability groups, where we have an hour every week that's set aside. Anybody can come, we have a conference room, and we write for an hour and no one talks, you're not allowed to talk, you have to turn off your cell phones and we just write. And I think it's actually a really productive way to keep a department moving. That sounds great. I need something like that. My papers would Three o'clock on Wednesdays. A little further along. Pacific time. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much, Dr. Bob Collins. I really appreciate having the chance to talk to you. It's been a pleasure to see you again. And I know all of our resident and medical student listeners appreciate hearing what you have to say. Thank you so much. This was really fun.